Hello, 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 Hi. everyone. Hey, it's Dr. Tamara Beckford with Your Curing Docs, and this is our Docs Who Care show. Yes, you're getting a special treat today. I know you're like, wait a minute. I know. So last week, Dr. Beckford had bronchitis. So, so this week, we're giving you an extra special amount because we didn't broadcast last week. So you're getting our extra special treat today. Super excited about this, Doc. We're going to be talking about culinary medicine. You're like, what? Wait a minute. I didn't even know that existed. That's okay. You're going to find out about it today, right? So this wonderful doc is a graduate of the University of Buffalo School of Medicine, right? And then she did her OBGYN residency at Mount Sinai. That's the Icon School of Medicine, Mount Sinai Hospital. That's our New Yorkers. Hey, New York. Hey, New York. New York. All righty. Hello, hello, hello. So our wonderful doc also is certified in culinary medicine, and she aims to use what she has learned to teach her colleagues, right, what she knows so that they can confidently counsel their patients on healthy eating. This wonderful doc is the one and only Dr. Fazma Ferris. Thank you. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Oh. I am so glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Thank you, you sound great. You look great. So, um, and I was so hey. glad that I could, yeah, <laughs> that I could be here. I'm really excited about it. Oh, I'm excited too. I am excited. I'm excited to find out all about this because I think your story is fascinating. So we are about to dig right in, right? All right. Yeah. So, Dr. Ferris. Tell us, what made you decide to become a doctor? Bring us back. So I think I was six, probably the first time I, you know, that's a very common story amongst us physicians. <laughs> I was six when I first wanted to become a doctor, but mm -hmm. then I wanted to be a whole lot of different things in between. I wanted to be a dancer oh. and a lawyer and you know, a whole <laughs> bunch of different things. Um, and I didn't become a doctor initially, actually. So oh. when I went to college, I actually did not want to be a doctor. So by the time I got to that decision making point, I was not interested in becoming a physician. Um, and, but I always loved, I was good at science and I mm -hmm. loved biology. And I, uh, I went to university of California, Berkeley, where they have an amazing, uh, nutrition department. Yeah. And I took my first nutrition class and I was just, you know, hooked on, <laughs> I was just hooked on it. And yes. so my, you know, I didn't take that. I didn't, I didn't go right into that pre-med track that, you mm -hmm. know, probably everybody thought I, I should have, or, or was going to, but I just really fell in love with how, um, you know, the study of how, how, what we eat, uh, makes our body run and, and, and right. to me, yeah. And so I, you know, so I ended up becoming a, a dietitian. Ah. I majored in nutrition and I, I took the dietetics program and then um, I don't, is this where we're going? Cause I could just get into my whole story. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I want to okay. know. Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know because I'm like, Oh, so you became a dietitian? Like yes. how does the, we move from dietitian to doctor? So go ahead. Tell yeah. me. 
So you did. So, I, you're so I became a dietitian. Yeah. So I moved back to New York after uh, graduating college. So I, mm-hmm. I grew up in the New York area and I went to California for college mm-hmm. and I came back to New York and applied to different uh, dietetic internship programs. So to become mm-hmm. a dietetic intern, you have to do an internship and take an exam. Mm-hmm. So I did the program at Brooklyn College mm-hmm. in combination with a master's degree. So I did the master's degree and the dietetic mm-hmm. internship, and I became a registered dietitian. And, and, and that was how I started my career in healthcare is by working as a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. Love it. So now you're, you're a fancy dietitian. Are you working in the hospitals at this time? So I was working, yes, I worked as an outpatient dietitian, which also was, I mean, maybe you'll, you'll notice there's a theme. I don't always do exactly what I'm supposed to do. Um, (laughs) At the time you sort of were supposed to pay your dues a little bit by working as an inpatient dietitian Mm -hmm. and, um, and not just going to outpatient and those jobs. Uh, usually they were looking for somebody with a little bit more experience, but I just knew that was not what I wanted to do. I wanted right. to be an outpatient dietitian from the get-go. And so I went out and found myself a job and that's what I did. And so I worked in a um, in a small community hospital in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of their uh, satellite family health center. So I would go to a different uh, a different family health center um, every day and see uh, adults and children Oh, as a dietitian in all those different sites around the city. So then when did you like, hmm, I think I want to go to medical school. Because I have this, I have my job, you know, you've worked towards this and now you're doing what you want to do. Yep. And then you're like, you know what? I am going to add some more years of learning and training to my life. Yeah, I'm (laughs) going to go back to school and do some more of this. Yeah. So I... So I, not long after I started working, mm-hmm. I felt like I enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt like it was a little bit routine. I was a little bit, I, I was a little bit bored to be honest. Mm-hmm. And because I just felt like I was repeating myself over and over again. And I, and uh-huh. I just thought to myself, I, you know, I stared down a, a long career mm-hmm. and knew that this was not what I wanted to be doing forever. Uh, and so where I was, I had to think about, well, what are my options now? I've done this, right? I've made this decision and, 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 you know, I've already gotten to this. So where can I, where can I pivot from here? And so the options really were, did I want to go into more of a management role? Mm-hmm. Did I want to go into public health? Did I want to go back and get a PhD mm-hmm. um, or did I want to go to medical school because I saw some, you know, mm-hmm. people around me who, you know, I was working with a lot of residents and I thought, you know, I, I could do, I could do what I they're doing. Do that. I could do <laughs> that. <laughs> but I really, I mean, I really wasn't sure because that was right, sort of the longer path and, mm-hmm. um, and really what kind of pushed me was sort of the final straw that sort of pushed me towards becoming a physician really mm-hmm. was actually 9-11. And um, were you in New York at the time? I was in New York. So two Mm -hmm. things happened Mm -hmm. that September 11th, Mm -hmm. the events of Mm 9-11. And also I became a patient. So those two things that happened in September 9-11, where I felt like, I mean, as we now know, uh, anybody that was working in 
hospitals in New York City at the time, there weren't a lot of patients, but at the time I really felt helpless. I felt, gosh, I'm a I'm a healthcare professional, but there was really no role for me in this circumstance. Oh. And that to me really was compelling, right? Like I should, I, I really felt the call to be able to, I wanted to be able to do something. So that was number one. Mm-hmm. And then I had the humbling experience of being a patient. I was diagnosed with endometriosis um, mm-hmm. and I, and, and I underwent surgery and, you know, so I had that experience as well. Mm-hmm. And those two things overlay each other because they both happened in the same month. And mm-hmm. it was really, it was the next month that really was like, no, nah, this is what. This is what I wanted to. This is what I want to do. And I remember I, I went out to dinner with my sister and I said, this, you know, this is what I wanted to do. She was not as surprised as I was. <laughs> she, not at all, my older sister. And right. um, yeah, and so she was, you know, she and everybody else. She did, was a, super, she did a finally. I knew this was super supportive. Be- <laughs> yeah. She was like, yeah, what took, you know, what took <laughs> you so long? So love it. Love it. Yeah. Alrighty. So now, you know, you've made this decision, you're in med school. And then you decide you wanted to be an OBGYN. What prompted that part of your journey? That was a surprise because I went to medical school thinking I was going to be an endocrinologist or a gastroenterologist, something that went with nutrition. Right. Absolutely. The gut. Gut Those are the people that I worked with or pediatrician, maybe, because I I did. I I was before I went to medical school, I, I put together a whole program for um, you know, for children who were, um, who were overweight. And and so that was sort of what I, I was not interested in OBGYN <laughs> at all, especially because of my experience as, you know, a patient, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, not really impressed with my own gynecologic situation. So that right. was not my, that was not my goal <laughs> at all. But, and maybe it was just where I went to medical school, mm-hmm. you know, I got to internal medicine and I got to GI and I got to endocrine rotations and I I didn't really find my people and I didn't find people Ooh. that were super interested in nutrition right? in the way that I thought they would be. Yeah. Um, I, I did find in family medicine. So that was my other, I was like, well, oh, I could do family medicine or I could do OB, but mm-hmm. I, because I never actually considered that I had an interest or an aptitude for surgery, which was a surprise. Wow. Um, so I, you know, and I also found that like, I really had a connection with the patients and I was mm-hmm. able to use my other skills. I would go mm-hmm. to the high risk clinic and talk to the women with gestational diabetes, you know, all day long. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I felt that um, they, you know, as a, as a group, as a population were really interested and, and really motivated and receptive. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this is someplace I really can have, have an impact. Wow. And I also just love the variety because remember, I don't like to be bored, right? Exactly. Boredom often is my motivator. And right. so I don't like to be bored. So I knew that in OBGYN, I would not be bored because there's so much variety and you can mm-hmm. either do everything or decide you want to do one part of it or, you know, and then sort of segue into something else. So I knew that I wouldn't get bored and and and, and I made the right choice because I haven't gotten bored yet and I'm still mm-hmm. finding sort of new, you know, ways to sort of ways. flex and, 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 you know, and switch things up. So love it. All right. Yeah. So boom, we're like... You know what? I'm a dietitian. I am registered. I've been working in the community. Decided, you know, prompted by two big events in September, you know, 9/11 and also you yourself having 
been a patient, right? So prompted by these two things, you're like, I want to help. I want to be able to be hands-on. I'm in the healthcare field and I want to help. So you decide to go to medical school, which is wonderful. And you're like, oh, I'm a dietitian. I'm going to be in GI or internal yeah. medicine. And then boom, you're like, whoa, uh, I am not finding my people here. However, you did find your people in the OBGYN realm. You're able to connect with these wonderful women and use your skills. But then you decide afterwards, you're going to get certified in culinary medicine. Now, people are like, culinary medicine? I have never heard of this. What are you, a chef? What is this? I see the Food Network. I see all of this, but I have never heard of culinary medicine. So let's enlighten all of those yes. people what culinary medicine is. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I always in my practice, mm -hmm. I always interject nutrition wherever I can. Right. And even from the time, actually, before I went to medical school, but in medical school and in residency, whenever I could, I would look for an opportunity for to, to teach my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And when I started working as an attending, I just thought to myself, how can I? Well, no, I took sort of a little hiatus because I had to pass my boards. But once I was able to pass my boards, I mm -hmm. said, now, how am I going to really refocus right. and incorporate nutrition into my career? Because... Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it, that's really one half of my brain. And, and now I get to put them together. And how mm -hmm. am I going to do that in a way, um, in a way that works? And because it doesn't seem as natural as, you know, you and I were talking before the show that it seems to be there, there are people in primary care or um, that are, you know, that are doing some of this work. Mm -hmm. And so I looked into the different specialty boards. Now there's the obesity medicine. Um, mm -hmm group and there's lifestyle medicine, but I found culinary medicine and it's not, it's not a board. It's a certification. It's actually mm -hmm. a um, two year long program that you go through and you have to get 60 credits through mm -hmm. a combination of hands-on culinary training. So in the kitchen with chefs, with dietitians, as well as didactic training, and there is an exam that you have to pass to be certified. Wow. And the reason I chose culinary medicine mm -hmm. versus one of the other mm -hmm. specialty boards was that it really truly is about 100% about nutrition. Uh. And it really promotes the, the science of nutrition mm -hmm. in a really, and I, fi I, I find in a deeper way. Ah. Uh. And nutrition, not in just in, you know, nutrients and supplements, food, really mm -hmm. using food and helping people to individualize their care plans oh. based on where they are. Mm -hmm. And that's really what, I mean, that's how, that's my approach anyway. That's my approach yeah. to health and that's my approach to nutrition. And because it really is a, a specialty that unites physicians and dietitians. So, mm. physicians so you are getting the best of both of your worlds in culinary medicine really work hands in hand to mm -hmm. uh, to educate and to work as a team. And so it really does promote the work of registered dietitians as a partner to the physician in a way that really, to me, just is, you know, is everything. I have the utmost respect for my dietitian colleagues. And that's mm -hmm. where I come from. So hey, <laughs> Yeah. Hey, so that's, that's, so that's why I chose that route, the culinary medicine route. 
Mm-hmm. And and then I just had, I, you know, and then I had to think, well, what do I want to do with it beyond mm-hmm. that I feel that can make the largest impact? Wonderful. And so I'm all about making, you know, making yeah, well, we exactly. know, we know you. If it's one thing that we know about Dr. Farris so far, impact, and she's she refuses to be bored. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So impact. I want to make an impact. I refuse to be bored. And mm-hmm. so I'm gonna take a deep breath. Just take a sip of water <laughs> for a second. That's fine. That's fine. So while you're sipping, one of the things that we want to know, right? So you've done and you're now using those skill sets, your dietary um skill sets your OBGYN skill sets and also we'll add culinary medicine because it's now three you know, those are three parts that you that's the whole right now is the Dr. Yeah. Farris that we're seeing and we're using it in order to really help our patients um especially in the realm of OBGYN you directly we do have a question um that i see someone posts a quest posted a question about inflammation and wound healing so we'll get into that also um how nutrition um impacts that i'm thinking that that's what um our doctor um is asking so now you're finding how do you find one that your skill set is helping with those patients who are having um obstetric issues like pcos like nu- your nutrition and pcos um or even that in infertility um enlighten us for those who might be going through this and they're like hey oh my god finally i'm hearing somebody talking about this yeah. so, <laughs> So the two, my two favorite patients to talk to nutrition about are either my pregnant patients, mm-hmm. right? Because there's just so many different changes that go on and changes in your, you know, what you can eat and how you can eat and what you feel like eating and what you right. can't eat and how you get all that nutrition and all the concerns <laughs> about adequate weight gain or not too much and not too little. Mm-hmm. And, and people just want to do the right thing. So it's a very fraught time. And then also PCOS. PCOS is really where I get to put the two parts of my brain together mm-hmm. and um, and really impact some change with my patients. So those are really my two favorite areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the latter one, because that's really a group that I find has historically not gotten really the care that mm-hmm. they need. Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons it's looked at from kind of a symptoms um looked at you know people will go to see different specialists based on their symptoms but Mm -hmm. nobody's really addressing the underlying disease and also you know pcos disproportionately affects people of color Mm -hmm. and oftentimes these are the same people who are not getting the the greatest care or the care mm-hmm. that they deserve. And so by the time I see them, I really feel like we're playing catch up and there's a lot of frustration and 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 kind of years of like under management that, um, that I feel that I need to, you know, address okay. and help. Before so. we go any further, let's um, tell those who are listening and watching what PCOS means and how it affects the woman so that they can understand why what you're doing is so important. So PCOS, which is a terrible name for the condition that it is, Mm -hmm. it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the name came from the ultrasound appearance of the ovaries, where Mm -hmm. the ovaries will have a lot of 
ovulated or unruptured follicles that line up in the ovary. And so it's really a misnomer because they're not Ooh. cysts per se. They're actually the little funk, like just physiologic cysts that mm -hmm. house eggs that just never got to ovulate. And right. so, and not everybody who has PCOS has polycystic ovaries per se mm. on ultrasound. And so it's really kind of a terrible name for, mm -hmm. for the disease that it is. And, right. and it's a chronic medical condition that is characterized by both a failure to ovulate regularly Mm -hmm. and elevated levels of androgens. Androgens are some of our hormones that tend to produce um, some more masculine symptoms mm -hmm. and characteristics. Right. And so a lot of the, you know, people will go first sometimes to their dermatologist, right? Mm. Or they'll maybe not be seen until they go to see a reproductive endocrinologist because they're trying to get pregnant. And so mm -hmm. people will be seen kind of by different, specialists who are managing a symptom and not really managing the underlying, um, the underlying disease. And I think a lot of it is, is, you know, people are not getting education on what their condition is. Mm -hmm. And my concern is these are people who need long-term care because it is a chronic medical condition that has long-term implications that, mm -hmm. you know, a dermatologist is just, that's just not what they do. They're not going to do that long-term management. Even mm -hmm. a reproductive endocrinologist beyond, you know, for most reproductive endocrinologists, people are going to them because they're trying to get pregnant and they're not going to do that longitudinal care. care and so, um, so that's why I'm, you know, I'm so passionate about it because it is a chronic disease and, and I have those relationships with my patients. So, um, so that's really. So how, does, how are you able to help with, by using nutrition to help with um, those ladies who suffer from PCOS? My approach, and this is what I teach my colleagues, and I'll talk mm -hmm. about that in a second, is really yeah. you cannot guide somebody towards mm -hmm. better nutrition or better health if mm -hmm. you don't know where they're starting from. Oh, and this is my biggest pet peeve of mm -hmm. all. People ask me, what is the best side for this? What is the best side for that? You know, maybe there isn't just one. Everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes from a different perspective in terms of their eating. What have they mm -hmm. done in the past? What are they doing now? Mm -hmm. What is their, what, what is their cultural background that's impacting their food choices? Mm -hmm. And you cannot, so that's my number one. You cannot tell somebody what to eat if you don't know what they're already eating. Right. Right. So that's number mm -hmm. one. So mm -hmm. that's really where do we start? What have we done in the past? What has worked for you in the past? Where have you gotten hung up? Let's go through a whole history in terms of what medications have you used in the past? Mm -hmm. Why have you, you know, why did you succeed with that? Why, why was that a failure for you? What did you not like about it? So mm -hmm. that we can make, fo you know, move forward and make it so that you're comfortable with the plan and, um, and that we can make, small changes that are going to really be for life. So it's not, you know, we're not going to change everything all in a day. No. And But it starts by asking those questions. It starts mm -hmm. by asking those questions. So the way I approach my patients is the same way that I teach my colleagues on how to approach patients. Mm -hmm. And that's what I cover in my, that's what I cover in my course. Mm -hmm. And it really is sort of how do you as a physician, find the time and hone in on those most impactful questions and tools to make those changes that are going to work for your patient. That's wonderful. 
So now, before we go any further, let's talk about um, your take on inflammation and wound healing. Uh, nutritional. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So I think wound healing is like, there's a couple of different components when we think about absolutely wound healing, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about inflammation, you know, there's acute inflammation, which mm -hmm. is helpful for our bodies. That's our body's immune system responding to an in injury. So whether that's a wound because of trauma, a wound because of uh, chronic, you know, chronic, in, uh, it, sorry, surgery, for example. Mm -hmm. So there's acute inflammation that's helpful. Right. And that's important for the early stage of wound healing, that mm -hmm. if we work too hard to minimize inflammation in that early stage of healing, we may actually end up with poor healing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So and I don't think that people realize that part. Yeah. Because our I think our take is like inflammation is bad. Suppress inflammation at all costs. It's like, no. no. So that exactly right. Inflammation is bad. No, inflammation is actually what makes our immune system so swift mm -hmm. and so efficient. But we call that acute inflammation. And you Absolutely. need that in the early stage of wound healing. That's what's mm -hmm. recruiting all of your white blood cells to the site, it's laying down the collagen, it's helping you to create new tissue. So mm -hmm. we don't want to suppress inflammation in the very early stages early of stages. healing. Absolutely. So that's why things, that's why, you know, anybody that needs to be on steroids, for example, we know steroids can interfere with wound healing. Mm -hmm. um, anybody that needs to take a lot of um, anti-inflammatory drugs that can interfere with wound healing. Mm -hmm. But it's the chronic inflammation that also can influence wound healing in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And what chronic inflammation is, it's when our immune system doesn't shut off after it's done its job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that can result in excessive scarring that can result in just sort of like poor cosmetic appearance of wounds, etc. And that is from chronic inflammation. And so chronic, when we talk about nutrition and mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory diets, which I love to talk about, mm -hmm. and, but that really is addressing chronic inflammation and not acute inflammation. Oh, wow. So um, this person is also saying that, um, you know, insulin resistance is usually not addressed in wound healing. And, you know, that's something that they feel really helps. So, and I think the insulin, insulin resistance... And um, diet is obviously, you know, hand in hand, which is something that a lot of people are not recognizing. And there are a few that are just starting to say like, wow, um, this might be, you know, one of the causes. So insulin resistance, um, if you are or, you know, have the ability to be like this person here, <laughs> I am not, I, but I know that I do have the ability to be insulin resistant. You know, I do have to be careful about my nutritional intake, you know, in order to be as healthy as I can for as long as I can, you know, without, um, you know, venturing into diabetes land. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But you're not alone. You, mm -hmm. you know, there's how many, how many million of, you know, hundred, how many million Americans Absolutely. who have metabolic illness? It's something like 70%. If you count Ooh. people who are, you know, technically quote unquote, 
obese, a BMI of 30 or more, and then plus all the non-obese people that have some sort of metabolic disease, whether it be prediabetes, hypertension, polycystic Mm -hmm. ovarian syndrome, these are all fall into the realm of metabolic diseases and they all have to do with insulin resistance. So that really encompasses most of us. Yes, Um, 70% is a big number. It's an an enormous number. Right? (laughs) It's an enormous number. And so we all, I mean, so insulin resistance, absolutely. So those are the Mm -hmm. two things that we really need to address when it comes to chronic disease. Insulin resistance, and chronic inflammation, and the mm-hmm. two feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, insulin resistance causes hyperglycemia and hyperinsulinemia, mm-hmm. and those actually cause inflammation. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, inflammation also causes insulin resistance. So right. Really, so here's this. <laughs> it's definitely that cycle. No, and so that's why you have to really address it in multiple different points and not just looking at insulin. Like some people just want to control your blood sugar super tightly, but there may be some other factors. Um, you know, and each of the different, you know, big popular diets, especially that people use for weight loss, when mm-hmm. the focus is on weight loss, some don't necessarily address all of the different components. So you may have a diet that's really good at addressing the insulin resistance per mm-hmm. se, but maybe less so at addressing the chronic inflammation and mm-hmm. vice versa. And so, so um, I, I also, um, recall reading on your site this net let's let's we're gonna just talk about this just for a second and then mm-hmm. we'll move on the net carbs let's get oh, into net, net carbs, carbs. <laughs> so i i i'm a fiber pusher i love fiber i think fiber mm-hmm. is super important for our health it helps us to feel full it's important for our digestion it's anti-inflammatory it helps to reduce the amount of glucose that enters the bloodstream all of these things right but the food industry has really taken a hold of this and all the people in their obsession with carbs and they've done some really funny math. (laughs) So if you take a whole grain, right? Mm -hmm. Like a whole grain of of rice, for example, Mm -hmm. wild rice, it still has the bran on the outside and it has the fiber. And then you have, right? So there's a lot of fiber in there and that's going to resist digestion. And mm-hmm. so even though there may be the same amount of starch as a grain of white rice, mm-hmm. that fiber in the whole grain is going to limit the digestion and absorption. So the mm-hmm. amount of that starch that's going to enter your circulation is going to be less, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. if we're talking about a natural whole grain. <laughs> but what some of these the, the, the food producers have Mm -hmm. done is they've capitalized on this concept of net carbs and they take fiber, whether it comes from wheat flour or, you know, brand, whatever brand, oat brand, wheat brand, Mm -hmm. and they add it to these different products. And as a result, they want you to think that somehow that's going to be the same as if the grain itself was never milled and the fiber removed. Removed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes, it does allow the product to be larger and have bulk. So it may be the same size as a traditional product mm-hmm. with less starch in it. And that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't get me wrong, especially if you really are trying to mimic something else. 
So, right. you know, there are breads out there and, and I use them. I mean, I use them and I eat them. I just know what they really, what they really say and what they really do. Yeah. So if you yeah, have a tortilla that mm -hmm. has this sort of extra fiber and then you have a regular flour tortilla, mm -hmm. um, one of them is going to have more fiber and maybe less starch in it because mm -hmm. that bulk has been added, but it doesn't subtract the carbs away. It doesn't erase them. And the way the labeling is misleading is that <laughs> it makes you think that by, you know, having this fiber in it and you're subtracting out the fiber, you're left with less carbs. Less carbs. And that's not exactly how it works. And moreover, mm -hmm. because it's a fiber that's added and not attached still to that grain that was milled, it doesn't act in the same way. So it's mm. not going to prevent or slow digestion in the same way as a grain that's milled, but still has that bran. That still has its its coating of natural fiber. Correct. So wow. it's a little bit tricky. I've seen it in jams. I'm like, yeah, no, you can't just add fiber <laughs> out of a jam and somehow somehow subtract the sugar like it doesn't work that it does not work that way it it's a, there's a there's way. i think there's a meme out there this is not how any of this works with the little yeah, exactly exactly so it is you know i it's it has its place like i said it allows mm -hmm. people to feel full and to really feel like they're eating their you know their larger portion but Definitely. it's not working in the same way and it's and they use a little bit of funny math there Oh, wow. Wow. Alrighty. So I think that we have covered such a great amount of info on, you know, nutrition, inflammation, wound healing, funny math when it comes to net carbs. So, I mean, you're, you're doing so much. Let's find out what is Dr. Farris doing for self-care? Self-care. Do we ever do enough self-care? I'm always, I'm always I'm working. I'm always striving. doing something. But um, you know, I, I guess the things that people do, uh, exercise, I think that's really important. So number one is I try to make sure I find the time for exercise eating. I mean, there's nothing, there's no better way to care for yourself than eating well. Mm -hmm. And I love to eat. Don't get me wrong. Just because I'm a nutrition professional, I love to eat. <laughs> I love tasty food. I love to cook, but I try to figure out how to make it really work for my body. Absolutely. Um, I knit. That's my other that's my other hobby. I do love to knit. And then the other hobby that goes along with knitting is buying expensive yarn. Um, <laughs> that just like feels really nice and is I very pretty. <laughs> you like so if you know any knitters, they know what I'm talking about. Because any knitters, the knitters out there. Oh, I love it. Love and it. then just, yeah, trying to, you know, sp spend time with, you know, with people who I love. My family. I, I've got 11-year-old twin boys and... Uh, so they keep me really busy. We went skiing a bunch this weekend and just trying to, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. You can see the glow in your face when you're talking about all of that. So that's how you know that this is self-care because you are glowing, glowing, glowing. All righty. So now we have our a fun question of okay. the day. All righty. So Dr. Farris, if you weren't a doctor, what would you be? So this is kind of, I mean... 
I think the answer is sort of a strange. You can't say No, I would have been an urban planner. I didn't know about urban urban oh, planning. Wow. And when I learned about urban planning and what it was, I was like, that that is amazing. I it's like you're just using science and you're using your creativity and you're trying to figure out how to make a way for people to just live better and live happier. And I I love, I love it. I just didn't know that that was a thing or that was a choice when I was when I was younger. And so I think um, that's what I, I love that. This is the first time that I've heard that answer. An urban planner. Yeah. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Well, there we go. So no, no. <laughs> maybe an urban farmer. I don't know. But they, they, they kind right. of go together. You know, you never know. We can still yeah. do that part. We have a couple people who do like um gardening and so on, but I love that urban planning. All right. So I know a lot of people mm -hmm. are watching and you've given tons of great info. And um, your wonderful OBGYN, who's gotten wonderful, great reviews online. You're mm -hmm. like, you know, 4.7, almost like five stars. And it's not just from two people. And one of them is not grandma. You know, <laughs> I mean, like these are wonderful people who are out there like, I love this doc. I want her to take care of me. I love what she's doing, you know. So let them know where they can find you. And do not hesitate to let our colleagues know about this wonderful program that you have put together. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I'm going to share this interview. This has been so much fun. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me in a few different places. My practice, I work in, um, I work for Wild Cornell Medicine in New York, and I have two locations where I see patients. One is in Tribeca mm -hmm. and one is in Brooklyn Heights. And you can also find me online if you, you can check out my blog, which is on my website, which is basmafarris.com. And there's a link there to find, if you wanted to schedule an appointment with me, you can link through there. You can also find my blogs there. You can mm -hmm. also sign up and if you want to get email alerts about my different programs. So I have a, if you do have PCOS, I have a week-long mini course coming up the end of March, which mm -hmm. is entitled Kickstart Your Mediterranean Diet for PCOS. Mm -hmm. And if you are a physician and want to learn a little bit just more about how my brain works and how I approach patients, I mm -hmm. have a physician course called Culinary, Culinary Medicine Basics. Oh. Nutrition for Busy Physicians, and that is also on my website. Oh, wonderful. So it's all housed at basmaforest.com? Yep. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Farris, for taking this time with us to go over what culinary medicine is, you know, go over how we got Dr. Farris from the impact of having something that affected the United States so negatively, this was 9-11. And from that, it prompted you to really come here and to use your skills and combine everything that you have learned as this wonderful dietitian, OBGYN, culinary medicine specialist, to help so many women out there. Thank you so much for all you do. You are absolutely one of our docs who cares. So don't forget all of you guys who are watching, you can find out about her on our wonderful Docs Who Care website. That's yourcaringdocs.com. And just go on there, hit that podcast portion. You'll see her lovely, beautiful face and you'll be able to just click and be able to listen to this wonderful
wonderful episode on audio, or if you want to watch it on video, you can do so also, right? Don't forget to leave her a five-star review because this information was just absolutely wonderful. Thank you. you. Wonderful, wonderful info. So leave her a five-star review on if you're using any of the Apple products. Hey, just go really quick. Boom. Dr. Ferris, boom, wonderful, great info. Lovely, lovely, lovely doctor. Thank you so much, everyone who's been watching and listening. I hope to see you guys next time as we take care of all our people and we also highlight all of our wonderful docs who cares. Bye. Bye.